Welcome to another episode of Transformative Teaching, a Faceted IU podcast. I'm your host, Michael Maroney, the director of Facet, and I'm here today with Suparna Mukhopadhyay. She is a lecturer of biology at our IU Southeast campus, and she's a member of the Facet class of 2022. Suparna, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing A-OK. It's beautiful out here. How about there? It's nice. Yeah. It was uh, rainy all day yesterday, but it's pretty today. Yeah. I, I actually was up in Indianapolis yesterday for part of the day. And basically my car turned into a boat on the way down to oh, Bloomington my. when I was returning yeah. home. It was just pouring. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, I'm, I'm really glad that you're able to join us today. And uh, we know all our listeners will be interested in hearing about kind of your teaching and learning journey and kind of the things that make you happy about teaching and maybe, maybe even some of the challenges that you've, that you've faced mm -hmm. um, through, through the years. So I, I would, I would love to hear um, how, how did you become interested in being a teacher? A teacher. Yeah, that is an interesting journey really. So my background is uh, so my PhD is in molecular genetics. So I was trained as a scientist and I have worked as a postdoctoral research associate and a research associate scientist in UofL, University of Louisville, where my uh, PhD is from, okay. for as many years doing skin and lung cancer research. Oh. So I was trained as a scientist, and that is what I was doing. So what happened in uh, 2006, uh, out of the blue, I got a new job opportunity from one of my uh, professors that I was a student of uh, to be a program evaluator of a program called the Kebrine program, which is Kentucky Bioinformatics Infrastructure Network. So what this program was doing, they were overseeing infrastructure buildup in okay. eight state universities in Kentucky. And somehow Dr. Cooper, who was my uh, neuroscience professor when I was doing my PhD at Yeovil, he thought that I would be able to handle that. So he suddenly told me, I have this job. It's a research administrative position. Do you want it? And, you know, it was such a big opportunity presented in front of me because I was a postdoc doing my research, no office, no nothing, just busy doing my lab work. Yeah. And he gave me a beautiful office, my own copier. And, you know, like it was a big jump. And I was like, yeah, I think I'll take it. So <laughs> okay. I, got my, I got myself into it. And that was quite a journey because I had no administrative experience prior to that. I was just trained as a scientist, you know. So I was in the job for a while. I learned and I was doing really well. And um, they so got a big... still doing research in that job or no. It... So the, that job was interesting. That was, I was supervising, like kind of overseeing okay. infrastructure, bioinformatics, infrastructure buildup and uh, faculty progress for about 40 faculty members in eight state universities in Kentucky. So this was an accredit accreditation or assessment type of? Type yes, of okay. it's called program evaluator. So okay. oh, I okay. was okay. overseeing their work. I was writing reports to NIH and then I was doing a newsletter. And mm. also I was evaluating uh, the, their student research program. Like they had a summer program for students who are like aspiring to go into biomedical field. 
and they used to fund that. So I was also evaluating tracking students down to see if that summer program had made them go towards some kind of biomedical career. So all kind of different things. And um, it was a bit nerve wracking for me because I was asked to go meet people like, you know, uh, provosts and people like that at Moorhead State and different state universities. So I kind of survived that. It was very like it was not my comfort zone. But, you know, I learned because I accepted the position. So I learned and I did really well. And then uh, they got a five year grant uh, based on my work. I went to Capitol Hill and presented there in D.C. for funding and all that. So it was all going okay, And I was somewhere missing academics, you know, because administration was not like what I was trained for. So that was always back in my mind, like, oh, my God, I don't think I can do this for the rest of my life. I either have to go back to 2010-ish, somewhere around there. It will be. I think I got this position in 2006. Okay. And I continued till 2009. Okay. And then, so that was in the back of my mind, like, I probably should not continue this for the rest of my life because I was Mm -hmm. missing what I was trained for. And then suddenly my life took a different turn. You know, something happened in my personal life. I suddenly lost my mother. And when I came back, that loss was kind of mentally uh, like heavy on me. So I requested my mentor, Dr. Cooper, that, you know, I want to resign from this position. And he was, of course, not happy about it because he was like, you just got like great why do you want to quit now like you just like you worked three years and you learned everything and I just told him like you know I miss my academics and you know I don't know what I'm going to do just quit this job like this Mm -hmm. so he kept me there for six more months saying that you know I need to write the grants and finalize everything once they get the grant approved then I will be able to let you go so finally he did and for six months, honestly, I didn't do anything. I was so distraught mentally with my, sure. you know, losing a parent like that. And um, so let me after, ask you, was your mo- yeah. mother um, an academic or? Not really. No, was she was it, very were, smart. Were, no, she was yeah. just a house homemaker. Yeah. No, she was not. My dad was an engineer, okay. but um, I have two other sisters who are all PhDs. Oh, wow. So um, we have three sisters, one a PhD in physics, physicist. <laughs> one an electrical engineer professor at utah state and i am a biomedical scientist so my mom raised us well all academic apparently <laughs> yeah <laughs> she was very like she always wanted her daughters to succeed so she was kind of very pushy on that area like you have to suc- be successful in academics and yeah. luckily we all went in different directions but we all have doctoral degrees and we are all in academia all professors so in different areas so but you so, achieved your mother's dream for you yes absolutely oh That's yeah wonderful. yeah she wanted to do something in her life and that never happened she raised us so she want she kind of made us be that way so that we could want to <laughs> achieve something in the world and um so then after six months i was really lost like what am i going to do because I was getting offers to go back and do research positions. And I was like, nah, I got out of here. I need to think about this. So I suddenly see an advertisement for a adjunct instructor position in our community college. And I send an application knowing that no one is going to hire me. I have no teaching experience. 
So I go meet the chair of the department and he, I don't know, he believed in me. He said, I'll give you a try. You have enough, you know, education wise, credit wise, enough credits to be able to teach this. I told him I've never taught. So are you sure you want to hire me? And he's like, yes, I think you can do it. Because I had, uh, so I was hired first time to teach anatomy and physiology for the pre-nursing uh, and pre-physical therapy program. Okay. Because I had, you know, my bachelor's and master's is in zoology. So I had a lot of vertebrate anatomy, physiology, histology, all in my course credits. And he thought I can do it. So I enter a teaching uh, position extremely that nervous the that's what I'm saying that the first day was like <laughs> oh my god I, what did I get myself into mm. so somehow after the first week I felt a lot more comfortable okay. and saw that you know I was able to communicate what I was trying and students were paying attention and it got to the end of the semester it was really fun and, you know, and it seemed like the students liked me and they're enjoying the classes with me and I was getting better at teaching. And after the first semester ended, uh, my chair called me and said, you know what? Some of the students from your class came to ask me if, I'm if you are going to be teaching the next part of this course. You must be doing something right. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> that, that, that really feels good. Yeah. So this is how it all started. And... Then I got, like, he gave me uh, bio, bio uh, introductory courses to teach also. So I was teaching three or four I'm, classes. I'm curious. So you, you said something in, the, in this describing this first semester. There's actually two uh -huh. things I was curious about. Um, the first is uh, that, that you could tell your students were, were learning and they were enjoying the class. Yes. Um, and I'm kind of curious, like, you're brand new to teaching. Exactly. What, what how, how did you what gave you that sense that they were getting it? In the okay. Bit? So I'm, you know, you know me for a while. So I'm, I'm pretty like chatty and I, I'm, I'm, I'm a good communicator so I can talk well. So, you know, after a while people, students were asking questions and getting engaged in the lecture. And, you know, many of the students would reach out to me saying that, you know, I really learned something uh, that was fascinating in your class. And, you know, it got better and better from there. And I felt like, okay, I, I think I can do this. I think I, this can be something that I can do. And um, before that, I had no idea because I've never taught before that one semester that started yeah. in 2000, I think around nine. So that's what happened. And then I started teaching multiple classes and things were going smoothly. And I, I think I mentioned this in my facet induction. There was one lady that showed up in my class, in biology class. And she was, was an elderly lady. And she said that she's coming back after 30 years. And she was like a nervous wreck. Like she did not know if this is for her, but she never got the opportunity to have a college degree. And she wanted to do this. And I was about uh, able to help her in a way that made a positive impact. And she passed my course with a C. And when I was going through the evaluations, this lady, I know it was her because she said about how she came back after so many years. And she mentioned that it, it was so sweet. She said, I prayed and prayed and God gave me Dr. M. Aww. 
And that made that me feel nice. like, okay, this is something I probably should be doing. This seems like my calling, you know, people feel that, you know, I'm meant to do this. I'm helping them. And that's where the journey began. And um, one of my friends that was also teaching in IU Southeast and community college told me one day, why don't you try teaching at IU Southeast? They're always mm -hmm. looking for instructors. So at that time, Dr. David Taylor was the chair mm -hmm. and she called her and said that, you know, I have a friend, PhD and all that. She's teaching here. If there is an opportunity there, can she come and talk to you? And David said, just ask her to send her CV. And I did. And then I met David and I was hired. And then there's no going back from there. So that's great. That's yeah. wonderful. I, I, I'm curious about a couple things in that just kind of in yeah. that story. Um, you you mentioned more than once I was getting better and and, and, and getting better and better. And right. and I'm always curious how people know they're getting better. What is it was going on that told you you were getting better? So so I think for me, it was like I was more confident. And I was able to uh, deliver the content in a way that it's it was like that I do, I still do. Like I was using real life examples or real world examples to so that students can relate to what I'm talking about. And okay. I think that helped them understand the concepts better. So I, I still continue to do that. I tell them something that will be etched in their mind and they'll never forget. Okay. So just to relate to, you know, the content, because, you know, you give me an example. I, I, I want to have something etched in my mind this morning. <laughs> you know, like, for example, let me think of something that I was just talking about. Um, like, say, for example, when we are uh, teach, I'm teaching enzymes and how they uh, have a certain range of temperature where they perform best. And beyond that temperature, they get inactivated. Okay. They get denatured, so they're non-functional. So I gave them an example of a, about, like I first asked them, um, do you know why we get fever? And some of them didn't know. So I'm like, okay, fever is not really bad for you. Your body is trying to increase the temperature of your body like it, so that any pathogen that has invaded your system, their enzymes can be inactivated and they cannot multiply in you. Okay, so the bacterial enzymes get inactivated when your, your body temperature goes beyond 100 degrees. That's why you get fever. So things like that, I always keep giving examples from real life so that that makes sense to them, right? So like, oh, yeah, I, I mean, didn't like, know. Everybody knows that fevers help fight. Right, but illness, what exactly is happening? That's, I didn't know that. Thank you. I yeah, so, today. <laughs> so, so that's, what, that's how I teach in my class. So that, you know, if okay. something like that is mentioned, then students kind of remember, right? Oh, she told me about that. You know, that's why we get fever. So I keep doing that still because I think that really, really helps in uh, memory. Like, you know, a subject like biology, it's a lot of content. Oh, yeah. That you have to remember a lot. So and it can students, be a complete memorization class, or yes, you know. But I don't want them to ever think, uh, not think, and just memorize because then yeah. it just uh, it's not you know it's not going to be helpful for them. No, it's they're gonna forget it. You know, when we do difficult stuff, I teach difficult stuff like molecular biology. That's like something you they cannot see, but the word transcription when DNA is being copied into a messenger RNA. I just tell them like, what is the meaning of the word transcribe? It means copying, right? So that's that's how they it sticks. 
Like, yeah. okay, that makes sense. It's copying. That's why it's called transcription. Now I don't have to memorize what is the definition of transcription. Yeah, that's so that's the way I teach in my class. So I think that really helps students to, you know, kind of memorize informations without really trying to just blindly memorize. Oh, sure. No, you're, so, you're, you're having it connect with the way they think yes, about things. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So that, I think that is how I felt like, okay, I'm getting better because it seems like students are... Anatomy is very heavy. So if, and also, I think I'm pretty entertaining also when I teach the class, that helps. Like I'm not like just standing there and reading from slides. I never read from slides. I'm, you don't, I'm you don't have yellowed pages that you hold in front no. of your face and read. Okay. Oh, that, that, that brings fresh, like old memories from my oh. professors. They had yeah. like pages from their school yeah. or college and they were using yeah. those i do have a powerpoint but you know i usually know my stuff because i've been teaching for so long now i don't yeah. need to look at it but just for the students visuals yeah, that makes sense. and i am very interactive so every day in the classroom i recall what we learned last week okay and How, I, what do you I, mean what do you mean by that you recall i just ask them, anybody remembers what i told oh, okay you so you're asking them yeah, okay you're having them make those connections and okay also you know i i know that not every student is like they don't feel like they can talk like some students are intimidated no matter what mm-hmm. even i'm not very intimidating at all most students like love me but still they're they one student told me, you're so smart. I'm scared to say anything in front of them. I'm like, no, <laughs> you need to ask me questions. But um, it, it, they just don't feel comfortable. Like they think that, you know, what if I say something that's not smart? Oh, yeah. And no, yeah, that, I'm, I, so, I totally get that. <laughs> yeah. So I tell them, you don't have to answer. If one student answers, you're listening. That will bring back the memory from last conversation so that you can follow you know just I don't I try not to intimidate in any way like you know they don't have the pressure that they have to answer those who know they can answer the others can learn from it so this is like a regular practice in my classroom I do it in every class even now so I think I guess that's how I find that over the course of the semester basically everyone Mm -hmm. is engaged in 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 the class at some point or another yes that that's absolutely correct because most students that's what they write in my uh, evaluations. Like she's very engaging. So I I do, I make jokes and stuff and make Mm -hmm. them laugh and then bring them back to the content again, because you know, a two hour lecture, that's a lot, right? And on heavy topics like DNA transcription, that's heavy. So if you just stand there and keep talking, that's hard. So I, I, I try to be entertaining, but you know, I was not this good when I started. I learned with this almost 13 years of teaching experience every day makes you get better. Right. Like, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. Absolutely. Well, there's one thing that you said early on mm-hmm. uh, in our conversation that, that, that I, I do want to circle back to. Um, so you're talking about like the way you're right now, you're talking about the way you're able to convey the mm-hmm. content, but early on you talked about how, you're a good communicator and mm-hmm. your students would comment on, on, on that. Um, mm-hmm. And, and my, my question is, what is it about the way you communicate that resonates with your students? Cause that sounds like something that you were doing even when you first started. That's a good question. Let me think of, think of a uh, answer to that. I Sorry, that I came can, from left uh, field, but no. So I, what I feel is, you know, like, my first experience in graduate school was with my mentor that I did my PhD with, a brilliant scientist. He was a terrible teacher. 
So he was a smart, smart scientist, but he didn't know how to teach. So what he started, when he started teaching us difficult concept of genetics, that's my PhD in molecular genetics. He started from so high up that we all got lost. Like, okay, what is he talking about? I have no idea. The whole lecture was a blur. <laughs> and I remember only two people passed in his class with bare passing marks. And I was one of them. And I'm like, okay, I need to do PhD with this person and understand what he was trying to teach me. So I approached him like, can I, you know, I, I want to rotate in your lab. And he chose me. I was his first PhD student. So he was new too at that time. Okay. And he's the chair of biochemistry in UofL right now. So uh, I think what my um, positive side is, I can bring myself down to the level of students that are in undergraduate level. Okay. So even with a PhD, I will not, because you know they don't know anything. This is their first encounter yeah. with the subject matter. So I think I, that's and what they're all my, smart and capable. They're all, all smart, that, capable in their own unique ways. And yeah. you know, I think my students also comment on that. Like she can really like come to our level mm -hmm. and give easy examples to make mm -hmm. a very difficult topic easy. I think so I've it, always it, had that in me. I don't know. <laughs> so you're able to meet them where they are and the exactly. way you're, the way you're conveying ideas. Mm -hmm. But but this this kind of affective component of students feeling happy, students feeling like they they want to be in your class. So yes. to me that speaks to like creating belonging and the and they feel That's, like they belong exactly. there. Mm -hmm. and, and and I'm wondering what is it about the communication that kind communication. of communication does the impact? How is the communication creating that? Creating that, I I feel that you know. When I am in, in a classroom, I connect with them. I don't, I don't know if, if it's something that can be learned or it's just like naturally comes to me. They feel I have a genuine interest in their learning. Okay. They understand that I care. I'm yep. not just not to do here my job and go home. So they understand that and they achieve better. So I'll just give you a little example. This semester, we have a, ha have a student in our class who shows up in class every day. And he sits in the front, front. So it's not like she, he's hiding or anything, but he would not do a single assignment, not do a single assignment for the entire first month. And I kept giving him extension after extension and he would not budge. Mm -hmm. And um, we are in a learning community. So he's with another faculty member in chemistry that we are doing this learning community together. And he said the same thing. He's not doing anything. He didn't take my exam. So I decided to call him in my office. I said, can you come to my office after class? Let's have a chat and see, you know, how I can help you. He came to my class. I was like, what is going on? And he said, you know, Dr. M, it's not you. It's me. I just broke it. Like I wait, wait, wait. And then it's like point of no return. Like he's, he has some anxiety issues and, you know, he was having a real hard time. It's a lot, right? A lot of content coming. And if you miss two assignments, you're feeling like, okay, I'm already behind. I am digging myself in a very deep <laughs> hole and I cannot come out of it. So I told him like, you know, Matt, uh, I'm not going to say his name. I said that, you know, this is a point of no, it's getting to a point of no return after the first exam, right? So if yeah. you do not survive in this class after this, then you probably have to drop the course. So show me something, go home today sit for a couple of hours, get some assignments done, give me something to believe that you are going to be there. Yeah. 
And you won't believe the next day his F grade changed into a C. Yeah. So he wow. actually believed he went home and actually spent time completing the assignments. I'm like, whoa, I didn't expect this much turnaround, but <laughs> he felt like, you know, I have faith in him. Yeah. So he was able to pull himself out of that. So I think it's just like if if instructors are a little bit more compassionate and kind and understand their side of the story, the students sometimes go through a lot that we don't see, right? We're seeing them oh, yeah. for a couple of hours. So we don't know what's going on in their personal life, if they have health issues, family issues, or, you know, a sick parent. So I, I think compassion is a big thing. If you're kind and compassionate, they feel more comfortable sharing their problems with you. And it's just like telling them that I believe in you. Um, I have another great example. He just came to see me and I'm so happy. This student was, uh, he wanted to be a doctor, very smart, but he's in US Army. He's a paramedic in the Army. Okay. And he was getting deployed sometimes and would miss class. And, you know, he was not really able to focus. Mm -hmm. And my tests are hard. And then he always said like, oh, your tests are so hard. And so he came to see me one day, this is a long time ago, and told me like, you know, I don't think I'm meant for STEM. Mm -hmm. I don't think I'm not doing well in your exams. I'm like, you know what? I see a doctor in you. You are so amazing. You're doing all this. You already are like trained as a paramedic and you are smart. You just don't have the time <laughs> to invest yeah. into education. But I will work with you. So if you need extensions, because you are, you are, you're serving the country. So I will give you extensions whenever you want to you know, complete it. And you won't believe he, he graduated with a 3.5 or above GPA. Mm -hmm. And he just came to see me last month. He got three interviews from UOVL, UK and uh, IU Bloomington for medical school. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, it took him a while. It took yeah. him a while. He graduated about three years ago. And he had to take his MCATs from Europe because he was deployed. Oh, wow. And just can you imagine, like, he came to see me and he gave me a wonderful recommendation for my uh, dossier. And he's like, being in your class was like, you know, something that I will never forget. And he took several courses with me after that. Like, he took at least three or four classes with me. Yeah, that's a great success but story. It's, wow. It's just, it feels so good, like, to see them mm -hmm. come back and just, he just, popped in saying that oh my god I wanted to let you know that I got interviews I don't know if he'll get into anything yet because it takes a little while but he's got three interviews and wow. it's very very impressive so yeah so so clear communication and compassion compassion is a big factor for me like if you there are instructors who if you do not complete an assignment will just give you a zero Oh yeah, and never even communicate what happened. Why, I reach out and ask them what happened. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they will not. They feel uncomfortable to because they missed the assignment. They will not reach out to you. I'm like, you know, my goal is not to punish you, but for you to learn the content. So I wouldn't mind giving you two extra days if you learn the content and finish the assignment. So I want to I want to come at it from a, a flip side and and uh -huh. talk about the students that are brilliant and. So those other students may have been brilliant too, but I'm uh -huh. talking about the students who are brilliant and who are mm -hmm. achieving at the highest levels in your class. Right, right. How do you how do you push them? Some of them don't need pushing; okay. they're just motivated. But um, you know, the the 
bright ones, they're always there, always like, uh, I think they have that initiative. They will communicate with me. They will want to learn more. Like one student this semester asked me for my all my cancer, like link to my cancer research papers, which will be oh way goodness. beyond, way beyond his understanding. I'm like, okay, if she's asking, why not? And he said that, okay, that was way above, but it was fascinating to see what you did yeah. and publish in, you know, really peer-reviewed journals. But, you know, like if you're interested... I will encourage you, but the good ones don't really need much pushing. They just, yeah, but, but, but showing him what is capable in, in your field is that's, yeah. that's really, I, I, yeah, I guide tactic. them. Yeah. I guide them in a way like yeah. we have a student that's pre-pharmacy uh, in my uh, learning community this year. And um, she's smart, motivated. So she, you know, she likes me already in the class and she came to me like, can I do some, I do some research with my uh, collections. You pro probably saw that mm -hmm. I, I do undergraduate research with students. So because my background, although I'm a lecturer, but my background with research is so strong that that is, has always been a part of my life. So she came to me like, can I do research with me? I was like, okay, you're going to pharma pharmacy school. So my working with me will not benefit you. Let me talk with, uh, so-and-so who does research on drug development. So I got her connected and she's going to start working with him. So, you know, just giving them the right direction. So she's yeah. smart, yeah. but she didn't know who to do research with. She thought, you know, I like her. So I'm going to just approach her. I mean, making and, those connections for students. Yeah. Is, I'm is, like, you is, know is what? a huge like, part of mentoring yeah, and advising. Exactly. And I'm like, yeah. my work area will not really help you in your application yeah. you are going to go into pharmacy so you need someone that's working with drug development drug designing so i made the right connection for her and there you go so Wonderful. she she already has that connection made well suparna we've we've been talking now for almost a half an hour uh-huh <laughs> <laughs> and i have and and we try to keep these episodes at about at about a half an hour so i'm gonna mm -hmm. i i want to wrap up with the uh, with the question I, I like to ask uh, all uh -huh. of our all of our facet members and that's what would you advise younger faculty or no, not, doesn't have to be younger but but less experienced faculty mm -hmm. um, in, in terms of how to become the best teaching professor they can be the best so instructor one, they can be yes new instructor so you know first know your content so be confident be prepared like after teaching all these years i still prepare for each of my classes i know those lectures like right in my head i don't need to prepare but i do because yeah. you know i do it every day before class i will go over my lecture i don't have to but i do so be confident so the students have to trust you that you have something important to give them in terms of knowledge right yeah and also, don't be intimidated by students when they're asking you a question and you, and you don't have the answers to that. Okay. I learn from my students too. Like sometimes they will come up with questions that intrigue me so much. I'm like, okay, I don't know the answer to that. Just because I have a doctoral degree doesn't mean I know everything, but let me research on it and I'll get back to you. So that's how I learn from them. And they think that, okay, it was not, you know, I asked something she didn't know and she didn't mind. You know, yeah. she learned herself. So I always do that and have compassion. It's extremely important. If they feel that you care about their well-being and their learning, they will do anything for you. It's just like parents, Michael. It's just like 
being parent, being a parent, right? My my yeah. son says I am her, I'm his champion because I've always been like that to him, not too pushy, but you know, he knows I really want him to succeed. So after high school, till high school, I was like, I had to really, I had a stick in my hand. Because yeah. he was he was investing more in PlayStation than he's super smart. His both his parents are PhDs and all that, so he he comes from a scientific background. But he thought he was too smart. He does not have to study. Yeah, yeah. But in college, he's he's you know has a chancellor's list throughout. So yeah, I mean if you if you set if you set the bar that low, exactly, uh, exactly, you're not going like, to be able to achieve so what your I, dreams are. <laughs> and most of the students are my my son's age. They're like my kid you know yeah. i just treat yeah. them that way that you know how i will treat my own child like you know i have a i know you can do this so i think if if your students feel that you have a genuine interest in their success and you really want them to learn and you have compassion in your heart that's all you need to be a great teacher that's awesome and that's great advice succeed. that's great yeah. advice well uh thank you for joining me today i've really enjoyed our conversation and absolutely yeah, I hope you have a great rest of your day. We've been uh, talking with Suparna Mokopadai, um, lecturer of biology at IU Southeast. And I hope to see you soon, Suparna. Thank you so much, Michael. 